0: Hello to you. Welcome to the weekend edition of Coin Market Recap. And because it's the weekend, that must mean that I'm joined by Molly Jane Zuckerman. Hello.
1: Hello, Connor.
0: Hello. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm quite good this morning. Quite go good. Morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Um, I was just saying to you before we started this, I've made a big mistake because I've eaten loads of crackers <laughs> before we're recording this, which means my mouth is now all dry and I've got to speak for however long this will take.
1: <laughs> well, okay, I mean, I have two comments. First of all, you didn't make a big mistake. You made a huge mistake.
0: Uh, which I is, made a huge <laughs> mistake.
1: Which is a big difference. And second of all, I just realized, are you talking about crackers like cookies or crackers like crackers for me to understand?
0: Cracker, <laughs> crackers like biscuits yeah. or crackers like crackers? What does that mean?
1: I mean, I just think that American and British English have different... Meanings for all of these words, and now they I'm really do. curious. Was your cracker salty? Yes. Okay, then I understood you.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, because I um I got a biscuit while I was in the states, and was really shocked by what I got. Like it because was, a
1: biscuit was, is also salty, unless it's you're in the south of America and not not South America, but the south of America, and then a biscuit uh, could be. Um, sort of like a big, puffy pastry made with butter. So yeah. there's a lot of lot of different meanings of similar words.
0: <laughs> Very clearly. But we'll all be united and know what we all mean in this episode. What a terrible segue. Um, <laughs> coming up this week, we're going to be talking about Kraken, which has been suspected of violating sanctions. We're also going to be talking about Michael Saylor, who's attacked Ether and Bitcoin Cash while he was speaking at a conference. And we'll be talking about crypto payments in America and whether or not a new law could effectively make it easier to make small purchases using cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Twitter as well at Molly J. Zuckerman and at Connor Sefton.
1: This week's crypto headlines.
0: Oh, talking for long periods of time is not good after Cracker Overload. I will keep myself hydrated. Ah, so we're going to talk first, Molly Jane, about Kraken. What's the story?
1: So this is the second big expose of Kraken in the mm. past month, two months. Uh, the first one was this New York Times expose of their very very libertarian company culture and now there's this so in basic terms what happened is that documentation was found brought to light not confirmed alleged i'll say allegedly everywhere that kraken was knowingly serving users in countries that were sanctioned by the us so that included iran and cuba And not only were they serving them, but there was allegedly messaging uh, communications found from Jesse Powell, who said that the benefits of serving citizens in sanctioned countries would outweigh whatever fines came in. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: that's where we are right now.
0: Yeah. So apparently, according to the New York Times, Kraken's been under investigation for three years. And like you just said, Molly Jane, a fine is expected. Kraken could end up being the biggest crypto firm to face enforcement action in relation to sanctions that have been in force since 1979. So what's awkward, Molly Jane, is the fact that Kraken has seemed to take a bit of a contrary tone to sanctions in the past because, of course, a few months ago, there was a bit of pressure for crypto exchanges to take action against Russian users. And Kraken didn't really want to do that, did they?
1: No, they did not. They did not want to do that. Um, Kraken seems like it wants to just serve everyone, anywhere in the world, at any time, and there should be no restrictions. Which definitely follows the ethos of a lot of cryptocurrency, especially the the early, you know, inventors and users, the cypherpunks. But what it doesn't follow the ethos of is um U.S. regulations at all.
0: Mm. Not at all. Not at all. Well, a spreadsheet was apparently shared with employees that revealed 1,500 Kraken users were based in Iran, I don't know why Americans like yourself say Iran like an iPod. It's Iran.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Iran is also one of my favorite Turkish yogurt-based drinks. So I feel like even I find it hard to distinguish between what I'm talking about. Iran.
0: Iran. Well, in Britain, you'd say Iran. But I know in America, Iran. Well, where'd you go? Where'd you run? <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible joke. Um, and another 149 customers apparently lived in Syria. 83 allegedly lived in Cuba. Of course, both countries there are also subject to American sanctions. Kraken and the Treasury Department, they're refusing to comment publicly on the prospect of an investigation. But Kraken's chief legal officer has said the company closely monitors compliance with sanctions laws. And reports even potential issues to regulators, so perhaps they're disputing any suggestion that they have been flouting sanctions rules by dealing with customers in Iran.
1: I mean, what what struck me is that this must be a very small percentage of Kraken users. If it is, tiny, if these numbers are true, tiny, minuscule.
0: Yeah, but in terms of the fines, I mean, we've got a bit of precedent here. BitPay apparently was accused of facilitating 2,100 violations. People in Crimea, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, and Sudan, and Syria, all using its platform, BitPay was fined just over $500,000 for that.
1: I mean, this this makes a little bit more sense about why Jesse allegedly said that the benefits would outweigh the fine, because $500,000 is nothing to an exchange. No, it's, it's, it's nothing tracking. for a
0: crypto exchange. You're absolutely right. No. Um but while we're on the topic, because we haven't really gotten into the whole issues surrounding Kraken's culture, what's been going on there?
1: So I'm going to keep saying allegedly because, mm-hmm. because I, I must. Um, but this, uh, this N- uh, NYT New York Times expose a few weeks ago basically detailed a company culture that was relatively extreme in its embracing of libertarian values. So, you know, I think some specifics that I could point out were making fun of and refusal to use pronouns or rather opening up what could be seen as potentially offensive conversations about the use of pronouns. Do you remember any other specifics from, from this exposé?
0: Yeah, so apparently he said parental leave was a burden for Kraken because a child might as well be a second job, a distracting hobby, or a harmful addiction, which is a very weird way to describe having a child. Um, Wow,
1: I did not remember that at all. That's a very fascinating way to describe uh, having children.
0: He's also effectively said that anyone who disagrees with the culture of Kraken should quit and that Kraken would pay uh, four months severance um, in exchange for this. Coinbase ended up going through something similar, didn't they? Not necessarily to these extremes, but they had a big discussion about culture.
1: They had a big discussion about culture. And I think what Brian Armstrong at Coinbase said very publicly was that he wanted to keep politics entirely outside of the workforce. And Mm. if you did not agree with that, then you also could accept a severance package. Uh, And I think a lot of people did. What the weirder thing about Kraken is, their severance package allegedly included a promise that you would never, ever work for Kraken ever again, which I don't think is enforceable.
0: Well, also, Kraken would be able to have a say in that, wouldn't they? (laughs) So Sorry, (laughs) We, we can't hire you again. Very, very weird. Company culture is going to be a discussion that goes on and on. I mean, we've seen some companies really take an aggressive stance against social issues. Um, The Black Lives Matter movement being a notable example. And other companies, to an extent, want their employees to, you know, obviously have their own political beliefs, have their own societal beliefs, but just focus on work and try not to bring any of that into the office. It's a very difficult discussion with no clear answers, really. We'll move on now and we'll talk about Michael Saylor. Now he effectively has questioned whether Ethereum is economically, ethically, and technologically sound. Let's take a listen to what he said at the blockchain economy Istanbul summit that was held in Turkey on Wednesday.
2: You know, the way I look at something, a crypto asset network is I want to know, is it economically sound? Is it technically sound? Is it ethically sound? Economically sound means I need to know the monetary policy for the next thousand years. Right now, we don't know the monetary policy of Ethereum. I mean, it's just not clear what it is for the next 36 months, much less the next 1,000 years. So technically sound means I need to see the protocol functions without being hacked for about 5 to 10 years. So we don't know that either, right? Because if you're hard forking and changing it, you're in every time you do a big upgrade, you introduce new attack surfaces. And then ethically sound means I need to know that nobody could change it, which which includes Vitalik. I need to know that no one at the Ethereum Foundation, no individual can change the protocol because if they can change the protocol, it makes it a security. If it makes a security, right, then it's not going to become global money.
0: I don't really hear Michael Saylor talk about Ether that much. And he was asked about Ethereum by a member of the audience. And Michael Saylor effectively Referred to what Vitalik Paterin said um, about the Ethereum blockchain being 40% done. And he said, as an institutional investor, he'd be uncomfortable investing in Ethereum until the protocol was finished. Do you think that's a fair point to make? It's just, it's such a random
1: point. To, to pick on the fact that Ethereum is only 40% done, because I think that in the crypto space, people are constantly investing in protocols that are 10% done, you know, play to earn games, you're investing in a game that you hope will be built in the future, sometimes mm. like two years down the line. Um I mean, on on one hand, that's a valid point. You might only want to invest in something where there's a clear final product that you think is done and presented. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Bitcoin is, I mean, could you say Bitcoin is 100% done? That's how you, (laughs) I'm don't. i really at a loss for words here. Yeah, I'm confused about that. Well, there's there's
0: development on Bitcoin. There's people working on Bitcoin, aren't there?
1: There are Bitcoin core developers.
0: Yeah so bitcoin mustn't be done um i do take his point when he says that when you're doing big upgrades continually you do introduce new attack surfaces so with the merge that's coming up for ethereum moving from proof of work to proof of stake there's a danger that things could go wrong there and vulnerabilities might be missed that could cause people to lose some money i take that point i I don't think that's an unreasonable point. Um, and yeah, he's worried about he's worried he's worried about Ethereum's monetary policy because Bitcoin clearly defined what's gonna happen in terms of how much Bitcoin's gonna be mined, when it's gonna be mined, when the rewards are gonna be given between now and twenty one forty. And his point is, with Ethereum, we don't know what the monetary policy is gonna be, in his words, for the next three years, let alone a thousand years.
1: I also think that Michael Saylor is a huge Bitcoin maximalist,
0: a yes. proud
1: and allowed Bitcoin maximalist, and that he believes in Bitcoin for all of the values that Bitcoin has. You mm-hmm. know, the biggest cryptocurrency, the first cryptocurrency, the possibility for huge gains. Um, I think that, institutional investors in Ethereum or believers in Ethereum are just looking for something different. They're looking for, you know, all of the potential that Ethereum can can have for building decentralized applications in a decentralized future, which is definitely different than what Bitcoin maximalists for the most part are looking for. So as I wrote in my notes, I don't think that it's really fair for for a sailor to get so mad and be so critical of something that no one's even really asking him to invest in in the first
0: place. Yeah, I, I see that. But obviously, Bitcoin is huge, Ether's huge as well. And it's, it's just interesting to hear the perspective of a man who loves Bitcoin explain why Ether, in his view, isn't to be held in the same regard. There are fears that the move to a proof of stake consensus mechanism is going to cause a bit of centralization to creep into Ethereum. Yeah, I'm just, I found it really interesting. I find some of his points there difficult to disagree with.
1: Well, you know, he wasn't only criticizing Ethereum, he was no, really he criticizing wasn't. Bitcoin Cash as well.
0: He was. He yeah. said it was a horrific mistake to proceed with a hard fork that doubled block sizes because it effectively removed the incentives for miners. And he says that over the past five years, Bitcoin cash has been a failure.
1: So first of all, I was pleasantly surprised that Michael Saylor knew about the block size wars because (laughs) he seemed to be like such a figurehead that only just kept saying, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. And I like the fact that he knows about block sizes. Great. He's done his research. (laughs) Um, On the second, my second point would be, again, you know, sure, it's a failure with his definition, but it's a success with someone else's definition. You know, bigger block sizes, you know, trying to make um, a currency that can be used for transactions um, that can compete with other payment methods,
0: People might say, oh, Bitcoin Cash is a huge success. So hmm. that's my two yeah. cents. Well, no Ethereum for Michael Saylor, and at least for now anyway. Who knows whether that will change? And last but not least today, we're going to talk about a new proposal in America Two senators... Are introducing a bill that would make small crypto transactions tax free. If you are transferring value of less than $50, or if you complete a transaction and you end up gaining less than $50 on the crypto, um, you wouldn't have to report it to the tax man. My Jane, firstly, is this a good idea? And secondly, can you? Just explain to me what the whole deal is with tax on crypto in America right now.
1: Oh, no, I'm scared to answer that question. I've um, I mentioned before on the podcast that I prefer to get paid in Bitcoin, which means that I have to sell it a lot to do things like buy food and pay rent. And while in an ideal world, I would be able to have an amazing budget and only sell exactly what I needed far in advance, there are definitely times when I've had to go on Coinbase or something and sell like $10 in Bitcoin, just to, you know, get myself over the edge for some expense Mm. that I had coming up. Um, I am truly scared to think about how much I have paid in taxes for all of my small Bitcoin transactions. I pay an accountant an absurd amount of money so that I never have to look at it myself (laughs) or deal with it because it is very, very confusing. And um, I'm not sure that even if I had an amazing understanding of American crypto tax law, I would have just the math capabilities to do it on my own. I think that the taxes are so complicated that I would need to pay someone, pay for a program, pay for a robot to do it for me.
0: Yeah, well, Patrick Toomey is one of the senators involved in this proposal, and he is the most senior Republican on the Senate Banking Committee. And he said, while digital currencies have the potential to become an ordinary part of Americans' daily lives, our current tax code stands in the way. I want to ask, let's imagine this policy comes in, taxes for cryptocurrencies are simplified. Do you think that people will end up using crypto as a payment method more frequently if these hurdles were removed or do you think it's just crypto isn't practical for that
1: i know a fair amount of people not in america that live overseas that have the various crypto debit cards yes. and they they swear by them um it makes their lives a lot easier because they receive most of their compensation in various different cryptocurrencies, and so it just saves them a lot of time and energy to pay directly in that. I think that there's probably a fair amount of people in America that would be pretty happy if they could do the same. Not a huge percent, you know, not like 20% of Americans, but a significant percent of people that work in crypto would probably prefer for tax reasons, for whatever reasons, to pay for some things with Bitcoin. I know that I'm one of them. If I knew that my small Bitcoin transactions would not be taxed, I would definitely get uh, an exchange debit card and use it to buy coffee. You know, I, I, when I read about this bill, I wrote down in my notes that I do think that the bill is overall a good thing for crypto adoption, even though the, the people that will be using it is probably very small. And even though the narrative that used to be pushed so hard in the past for using Bitcoin specifically as a payment method has now almost changed. I just I just like the idea of having the option.
0: Yeah, I mean, people in El Salvador have got the option. Not many of those seem to use it.
1: No, they don't. And again, even though I have said this so many times before, I'm a bit of a Bitcoin maximalist. I think there are really great use cases for it. And they're all very specific and very narrow and this would be one of those specific narrow use cases that would help out like 3,000 people across America. And since I'm one of them, sounds great to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you can have, well, what was that pun I did when I was talking about crypto and coffee recently? You can have a block of chino.
1: I do not remember you saying that to me.
0: NF cup of tea.
1: <laughs> you definitely Terrible. can say that to me and you haven't used it on the podcast at all this week.
0: <laughs> it was a while ago. It was a few weeks ago. A few months ago, probably.
1: A few years ago, it sounds like.
0: <laughs> no, it was when um, Starbucks were announcing that they were doing some new NFTs. I was like, block a chain-o. Okay, you're right. You did Trying to think of other ones now, but I can't think of any. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well anyway. <laughs> well, that is it for this week's coin market recap roundup. Molly Jane. It's been so nice speaking to you once again.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Uh, Please do leave us a review if you've enjoyed today's episode. And we will be back on Monday with a look at all of the crypto news headlines. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. See you Monday.
1: Bye.